Welcome and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary and me, Ron Rains, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Do what's best for your kid and for yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, you're definitely not going to be able to take care of that kid and that's not fair. And I know that my daughter will be well taken care of with them. Don't have an abortion. Give this child a chance. All I could think about was needing to save my son. My name is Kelly Rourke-Scary. I am the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and creator of the You Before Me campaign. I have a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. I was adopted at the age of three days, born to a teen birth mother, raised in a closed adoption, and reunited with my birth mother in 2007. I have worked in the adoption field for over 15 years. And I'm Ron Raines. I've worked in radio since 1999. I was the co-host of two successful morning shows in Prescott, Arizona. Now I work for my wife, who's an adoption attorney, and I'm able to combine these two great passions and share them on this podcast. So today we're going to be talking about birth fathers, and we're going to try to explain their thought process. And we're going to do this in a way that we don't stereotype, um, but we are going to explore different personalities, expectations, and preferences of some birth fathers to gain a better understanding of how they impact directly and indirectly an adoption. And again, you've been doing this for at least five years. See, I'm trying not to give away your age or anything. (laughs) So you've seen the broad spectrum of every type of birth father that's out there just about. I have. Okay, so the good, bad, and the ugly, we're going to hear it all today. Every time I say that, I do get a a new type or breed or I get kind of a twist, you know. So next week Uh, we'll have an update story. (laughs) (laughs) Because you'll get a call and it'll be like, I can't believe this happened, but it did. Right, right. Here's a new one to me. Okay, so some interesting things that the general public that is not in the adoption world may not understand or even be aware of regarding birth fathers is some of these things. And I thought these were really important to note because, again, it gives you more insight into the adoption world and, and what we as adoption professionals often encounter, face, deal with, et cetera. Um, we do sometimes see repeat birth fathers with different birth mothers at different times. And to me, that and, it, that is so foreign. It just, that blows my mind. Okay, but if you break it down, it really shouldn't. Let me explain why. So if you have a birth father and a birth mother uh-huh. and they experience an unplanned pregnancy and they decide to place your baby for adoption, Right. And this was a quick relationship and they break up and then the birth father moves on to the next person and he accidentally gets her pregnant. Right. And again, they're not choosing to parent. Why wouldn't he come back? That actually it does. It puts it into perspective because you don't think about it that way. You just think this guy's hopping around everywhere and these birth mothers who are coming into you are randomly coming into you. It's, basically his influence that's bringing them to you. Correct. Got it. And so what is important about what just happened with you and, and I, and just discussing that one thing is I was able to open the door for you to see a different perspective. To understand, certainly. And so that's again, what our podcast goals always are. 
All right. Uh, birth fathers can have access to many adoption services, but oftentimes they don't partake. So some of those that they are able to be a part of are counseling. They can have counseling with the birth mother or they can have their own individual sessions. They can have communication with the adoptive parents, both during the pregnancy and after. If they have a post-adoption communication agreement, which we'll talk about in a moment. So they can develop their own independent relationship with the adoptive family. They can choose to sign adoption consents just because they have had their, their service and their time run out. That doesn't mean they still can't sign consents. And if they sign consents, they can choose to have their own individual post-adoption communication agreement. So those are things that we always explain to birth fathers when they do come in with the birth mothers and they are present. We go over everything so that they know the services that they have access to. Birth fathers really can have a significant influence over whether a birth mother follows through on her adoption plan. And that's why if you have a birth father that is present, it is important to work with him in addition to working with the birth mother. We'll get into the funding later, but in terms of including him in the aspects and the steps and the stages of the adoption process, it's really important to include him because his influence is one of the most important factors when it comes down to her signing adoption consents and following through with her plan. So they need to feel a part of the process, be treated with respect. Um, a lot of our birth mothers and birth fathers are homeless and respect is the oftentimes the only thing they have left. And so when they come into the office, regardless of their appearance, if they're homeless or not, whether or not they're employed, uh, what their criminal history looks like, by not treating them with respect, you will lose their cooperation their willingness, and their respect for the adoption process. So again, all people should be treated with respect, but sometimes it's very difficult. You know, if you have a birth father, you know, that is coming into this very defensive and has, you know, a disrespectful posture and to treat him with the respect because it's going to have a positive result in the end. Right. And so it's, it's almost like a dance that you do with a birth father in the sense that you have to, you know, understand his reasoning rationale and kind of his history to understand why he is acting the way he's acting. And if you educate him in a way that he understands, just like how we did a couple minutes ago with you, not right. that your birth father don't understand, but if we break it down and give not only the theoretical answer, but the reason behind it and why it is the way that it is, that changes everything. We have found that educating the birth father not only sometimes helps his cooperation, but he will also then in turn support the birth father. So one of the things that I love to do is to praise the birth fathers when I see them actively supporting the birth mother in her adoption choice. And I will call them out on it immediately because I don't see that very often in front of me. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying, you know, in my face, when I'm talking with them, I don't always see them vocalizing and physically supporting them. You know, they may have their arm around them or holding their hand or so forth. You know, I have seen situations where, you know, a birth mother is trying to wake him up 
because he's falling asleep in his chair or he is on his phone or completely disinterested right or you know he's fighting with her and they're arguing and yeah and so, i think that what you do in recognizing this i think that's important not just with this situation and with birth fathers birth mothers and all but in life i think we all kind of desire to be recognized when we do something that's appropriate or right and make the right decisions in our lives. Everybody wants to be recognized for that. And all too often, as you know, the people who witness something like that, we just kind of think in our own head, oh, that was cool, but we don't say anything. And I think right. it's important to recognize things like that. I do too. I think that that we as a society, we move at such a fast pace mm -hmm. that sometimes we forget what's really important. And that can, that connection that you can make with somebody by just saying a few words or smiling or asking them how their day was or telling them the good, good morning can change the, the temperament of that entire day for that person. Right. And to be that light for that person's day is an honor. Not to mention, I think it helps to perpetuate the good behavior that you're recognizing because once somebody says, oh boy, I like how you did that, in the future, as you come across a situation like that, you're going to start going, hey, they liked it when I did it this way. I'm going to continue and maybe even get better doing it this way. I, I don't know. I just think it's important that we recognize each other and, and show each other that respect like you were talking about. Yeah. When I was a school counselor, I remember one of the techniques that I, I love to use with the younger children. I remember a boy in particular that, you know, was often misbehaving in the classroom and he, the teacher had a really hard time getting him to follow the rules and to kind of go along. And so he was pretty disruptive. Mm -hmm. And so I went into the classroom and observed him for a while. And then I picked out three things that I thought he did really well. And I pulled him aside and I talked to him about those three things. And I really focused on that. And I encouraged the teacher to follow through and focus on those three things. Mm -hmm. And so what we found is that he was still naughty in the other areas, if right. you will. But he did those things really well. So then we started expanding it. And the more we expanded it and we added things on, like we found another good thing that he did. He slowly started to turn. It's like turning the Titanic. You know what I mean? Right. Like Totally started to turn. And so he went from this, this kid who was obviously frustrated with himself, frustrated with the teacher because he was always in trouble and everything was negative. Mm -hmm. And slowly turning it to positive, he started to feel really good about himself. His self-esteem changed. Uh, the way he interacted with others changed. And he started to be able to make friends because he wasn't looked at as, you know, the naughty kid in the class. And so by turning the Titanic, again, kind of an analogy, right. we were able to see the best in him, whereas before we saw the worst. Yeah, so he was just crying out for a response or a reaction, whether it's positive or negative. But he started liking that positive reaction and thinking, I want to continue this and, and make this grow. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. That's awesome. I bet you changed his life. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Um, so with birth fathers who come into the program and they're angry and they've been burned on the streets and they've done prison time and they've, they've mm. had a really hard life. 
not that they're acting naughty per se when right. they come into the office, but when they come in hardened and, you know, one of the things that you can do is you can look at them and you can try to find a connection. You know, maybe he's got a sports team shirt on that, that you like, or, or maybe he, um, has a similarity to one of your children or, you know what I mean? Something you look for something. Right. And, and then you focus on one amazing thing about him and you talk to him about that. And again, it's, it's a mind switch. So then he's going to go and, you know, when, when somebody can feel a connection to somebody else, it changes the dynamic of the communication and of the relationship. And so that is, that is one thing that I found to be very helpful. And so in doing that, when you're trying to help a birth father understand the adoption process and what goes into it and why he's vital and important, not only because he's the birth father, but because he's the birth mother support person, he then can fulfill this amazing role and be a hero just like she is. That's awesome. So birth fathers sometimes are reluctant to, uh, start the adoption process because of factors that we may or may not even consider. Sometimes they fear that they will be looked at as a failure in the sense that they are not providing for the birth mother and financially together, they cannot raise a child because he has not provided as he feels he should. So as lots of men believe they're the man, they're the provider, it's their responsibility. You know, they're the hunter and gatherer per se. Right. And when they're not able to fulfill that role, they feed, they beat themselves up emotionally about it. And they don't want that perception out in the world, around, mm. especially around their friends and family. They don't know enough about the adoption process <clears throat> to explain what they're doing to their friends and family. So if they don't understand it, how can they explain it? And if they can't explain it, then the perception is, well, on the street, well, are you giving your baby away? And that's not at all what it is. Right. Now, and how so, do you help them when they come in with those that low self-esteem and like they're failing, like you said, even though they're not, and they're making this positive choice that's actually going to be wonderful for the child and the families all involved and everybody. Um, how do you help them to get over that pride or whatever it is that's that's kind of blocking them? Uh, there's a couple of techniques. Um, mm -hmm. One, we talk about the process in depth and an understanding <clears throat> so that they can then take that explanation and they really grasp it. They're not just hearing it. They're listening. They're, they're um, processing it and re-explain it to somebody else. We talk about other birth fathers and their experiences. Obviously, we use non-identifying information, but right. by explaining to them about other birth fathers and their stories and how they were able to um, go through the adoption process and, and be successful and how it helped them and it helped their baby and what it looks like now for them. That is huge because again, nobody wants to be singled out. We've right. talked about that with the adopted child. And so with the adopt, with the birth father, again, including him and, and helping him to understand that he is, so important in this process. You know, the child is going to want to know as much about him as the child does about the birth mother. And he's a vital component of this. So by bringing him into the inner circle, it makes him feel like he's a part of something. Right. 
And when somebody feels like they're a part of something, you kind of gain the team mentality. Uh-huh. And when you have a team mentality, everybody knows that they have a role to play and a part to play and they have to do their end so that it, it, it goes seamlessly. So that's one of the things. Um, another reason why is they may have other children with other women who did not place their child for adoption. So they may have had women in the past that were homeless and were substance users and, and so forth. And those previous girlfriends did not place their baby for adoption. You know, maybe their children went into the custody of the state or maybe they're living with their mom's friends, uncles, aunts, boyfriends now, and that's how they're funding it. So because they didn't make an adoption choice, this is an unfamiliar choice and it makes them under, not understand why a previous girlfriend would want to try to parent even in the worst situations, whereas this girlfriend is choosing a better life for her child. Right. They also may fear that the birth mother may not want to stay with them after the placement of the baby because they will no longer have a child that they're raising together. Uh, The last one is, is they may not be sure that the baby is theirs. And if the baby, if there's more than one potential birth father, they're going through the, well, if it's not mine, you know, I don't want to, to parent, you know, the guy's baby that she, you know, had right. a affair with or et cetera. And so that kind of puts things into a mix and, and gets, you know, their head kind of jumbled. So there are some hot topics for birth fathers. Birth mother expenses is one, and I'll kind of run through these kind of quickly. Uh, birth mother expenses, some birth fathers come in with a very entitled mentality as to, you know, they should be getting the same thing that the birth mother's getting because without him, there wouldn't be a baby. Right. And not there that she's getting funded and he's not. And again, it's state law. It's not a, you know, slight against him. It's not that we're choosing her over him. It's the state law. Uh Uh, He doesn't have the same medical condition that she does a pregnancy and he and is an able working body, or if he's not, then maybe he's getting social security from the state. Right. And then we have some birth fathers that understand why, and they don't fight it. They don't argue, but they just kind of live off the birth mom. You know, they'll stay where she's staying. They'll eat her food. Then she runs out, you know, it's kind of that. Um, And then we have birth fathers that are employed and they don't even ask. Right. They may not be together anymore. They may not. And they, they understand. Um, when it comes time to match with an adoptive family, some birth fathers are very involved. You know, they want this and this type of family, but they don't want this kind of a family. And they're asking questions and they're looking through books. And I love that. Even right. when they don't always agree on which family, because, you know, they each have their favorites. To me, that's healthy and normal. And so I can help them through that process of, okay, well, what are the deal breakers on this family? And what are the deal breakers here? We can kind of break it down and see which is the better fit for both of them. Mm -hmm. Those are the best situations. And like Um, you said, he's recognizing that he has a role to play in this and he's playing that role. And that's amazing. It is amazing. It's incredible. And like I said, those are my favorites. Uh, We also have some that are clearly 
being drugged to the office by their birth mother and they don't want to be there. They don't want to pick a family. They're not really supportive of the adoption and they're resentful. And so they're sitting there usually with their arms crossed, kicked back in their chair, just kind of doing the uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, throughout the time that the birth mother is, yes. Um, I've actually had uh, situations where they literally fell asleep. Really? I'm sure, yeah. I had one, uh, I was actually worried he was going to fall out of his chair. So I, I, when he woke up, we had him turn his chair a little bit because I was afraid he was going to fall out. Uh, We also had another one where the birth mother kept, you know, jostling him, trying to wake him up and to look at this profile. And Like my wife when we're in church, right. Um, she got so angry that she said, um, okay, well, I'm going to pick this family. And, uh, the brother has all the same desires as Hannibal Lecter and they have a criminal history. And she starts making up this horrific, you know, it was a joke, but horrific. Waiting to see when he caught on. Right. And she, she goes, does that one sound good? And you hear him go, yep, that's good. Pick that one. You know, and, and so he was clearly just not even paying attention. And of course, and that started the fight between them. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, birth fathers will practice avoidance. And when it comes time to pick a family, they've got other things to do. They're not able to their appointment. And so the birth mother is trying to, you know, FaceTime him and get his opinion. And yeah, he's just not happening. Adoptive parent contact is another one that some birth fathers are very involved. I've seen situations where they've developed these amazing relationships. The hospital, the birth father and the adoptive father will go down to the cafeteria together Hmm. and just man to man about fathering this child. And that's beautiful. Uh, I've seen other birth fathers that really want to exert control. Sometimes the adoption feels like a loss of control for them. And so they will overcompensate by dictating to the birth mother, okay, you're not going to talk to the adoptive family without me present. You are going to do this. We're going to do it like this. And again, they're trying to maintain the control that they have because that's how they feel safe. It's not because they're trying to be rude, disrespectful, a jerk, or what have you. It's because they're trying to hold on to some type of control. Right. So if you can understand that in working with an, a birth father, that it's a control thing, and loss of control equals fear, then you can kind of work backwards to help them through that. Some birth fathers are resentful of the birth mother's choice to place the baby for adoption. And so it's a constant battle with them. It's a constant battle. And some, again, practice the art of avoidance. They just don't have anything to do with the adoptive family. Right. Counseling is identical. Some go with the birth mother, some go alone because they want, you know, additional counseling about the adoption. So some birth fathers will make an appointment and then not go. We've had other birth fathers convince a birth mother not to go, that they have something more important to do. So again, they can, they can go either way. Sometimes birth mothers, after they deliver, want their living expenses for the next six weeks rather than having us help them uh, manage that during the six weeks. And the birth fathers sometimes try to take control over the finances and, again, argue that that should be half theirs because the baby, they're the baby's father. And so, again, that's where the conversation has to come back and explain why. 
post-adoption communication agreements are another point where I think it's so important. Birth father signs consents. He is ineligible to have a post-adoption communication agreement. If he and his girlfriend break up, he still can have that link to his child. And when you're in a relationship and you're placing a baby for adoption, you don't ever want to think about, well, what if we don't stay together? What if we don't make it? But, you know, in reality, that's something that needs to be considered. So that's super important. So you've got those that are very pro it and others that, that say, well, you served me, my time ran out and I really don't want to do the adoption thing that much. And so I just am walking away. We're grateful that he's allowing the adoption process to continue, but wish that he had seen the value in the adoption choice so that he was able to be more perfect. Like you say, that value is not just for the child or the adoptive family. That's for him as well that he's kind of missing out on. And it, it's a shame. But, you know, I guess you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink kind of thing. So. I think that we've come a long way in the adoption world in the sense that we have begun to focus on the needs of the birth mother as to, you know, aftercare and and so forth. But one aspect of adoption that I think that we're very much lacking in is really understanding the complexity of the birth father, you know, what he is coming to the table with. And I think that by exploring and and having research studies done and and input from birth fathers and research gathered, I think that if we were able to have a more substantial and broad understanding of birth fathers and their perspective and interest and understanding of where they are when they're coming into the process, I think actually we would be much more successful as an adoption community in making him a part of the community and a supporter and a champion of this amazing process. Well, and we've talked many times about the differences in adoption and the process from, for instance, when you were adopted to now and how much more understanding understanding there is, especially with the birth mothers and stuff. Hopefully it doesn't take another, you know, couple decades or whatever to get this understanding of the birth fathers and to help them be a part of that process. But it's an ever evolving industry, you know, the adoption industry, and it's getting better, I believe, every day, just may seem like a slow process. Yeah, I agree completely. I agree. And I think that uh, hopefully, you know, even through this podcast, that if we can reach one birth father, and, and let him know that, hey, you are important. You do mm-hmm. matter. You have an opportunity to make a huge difference, not only in this child's life, but in the birth mother's life and in the adoptive family's life. I think that could move mountains. Thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. If you're listening and you're dealing with an unplanned pregnancy and want more information about adoption, Building Arizona Families is a local Arizona adoption agency and available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112. That's 623-695-4112. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan or just get you more information. You can also find out more information about Building Arizona Families on their website at azpregnancyhelp.com. 
Thanks also go out to Grapes for allowing us to use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Birth Mother Matters and Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to us. We'd really appreciate it. We also now have a website at birthmothermatterspodcast.com. Tune in next time on Birth Mother Matters and Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Raines. <laughs>